You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Hey, everybody. Welcome to A Step Further. It's our weekly podcast from Kingsway Christian Church, where we take what we talked about on Sunday just one step further. My name is Matt Nickerson, and I'm the host for today's podcast. And uh, Sunday, we wrapped up our series called Elephants in the Church, and we talked about the issue of morality. Real quick, parents, if you've got kids in the car or they're in the room and they can hear this, you might pause it. You might put on headphones or something like that just for the nature of the conversation. Ready? All right. So Sunday, we took a look at the biblical ethic for marriage and sexuality. And we looked all the way back at Genesis chapter one and two and a little bit into chapter three. And we just basically said that this, God made marriage and sex to be one man with one woman for life. And just to be clear on that, because I don't think I said this Sunday, that means that if one of the, uh, either the husband or the spouse passes away, then the other person is free should they desire to be married again. So that's the biblical ethic for sex and marriage. But what I want to focus on today is this other big thing that came up, that, that junk drawer word called sexual immorality. It's the Greek word pornia. And it's this whole idea of the fact that uh, while in this world, uh, we may find ourselves committed to somebody of the opposite sex for life, sometimes it's still hard. I mean, there's a book that was actually written by a guy from Indiana called Steve Arterburn, and the book is called Every Man's Battle. And while it's not just every man's battle, the reality is there's something about sex that that affects all of us in some way or another. Sexuality affects all of us in some way or another. Uh, Many married couples are struggling in in, in finding it hard today to uh, define intimacy between them. And a lot of times what we don't know is we've, we live in a world that is sex-saturated. Uh, we may live in literally the most sex-saturated culture of all time. Uh, the pornography industry today is a multi-billion dollar industry. One thing I listened to this past week, and I did not have time to verify this number, but it's somewhere in the $60 billion range. I mean, if you just let that sink in for a minute, oh my goodness. Now, that's more than all the major uh, networks like CBS, NBC, ABC, and Fox combined make. It's more than all the major sports uh, organizations, the NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL combined make. I mean, it is an astronomical number. And what that tells us is this is a major problem in America. And the thing is, most of us have bought into the lie It's my body, and it's not hurting anybody else. I can watch what I want and do what I want in the privacy of my home, and it's not hurting anybody. And two things. One I said on Sunday, and one I'll stress now. And one is, it is hurting God. God is infinitely holy. He's infinitely good. He's infinitely loving. He's infinitely righteous. And so while you may not be literally hurting, physically hurting another person, it does hurt the heart of God, who did not create you for this purpose. Now, the other person it's hurting is actually you. Not if you know that or not. But we've seen study after study after study that show that you have neuropathways. And so what happens is um, when you take on something, say, for instance, like pornography, and uh, and it comes with a climax uh, related to what happens when you're watching pornography, what happens is whatever you're looking at in that moment locks into your brain. So God has built your brain in this amazing way. If you think about this for a minute, and uh, if a man and a woman are being intimate and they're having sex together, and at the moment of that climax, uh, whatever you're looking at in that moment gets locked into your brain. That profound release of emotion that feels so good and all the chemicals being released, it feels so good. It literally locks that image into your mind. So do you know the way that God rigged it? You think about the beauty of this for a minute. The way that God rigged it is whatever you're looking at in that moment will actually become something you become more bonded to, more attracted to, more connected to. So now replace that 
with an image on a TV screen or an image on a phone or an image uh, in front of your, on your laptop. And what happens is you begin to become more and more and more bonded to that thing. In fact, there's actually been studies have been done. I read this in a book years ago, and I can't remember the book now. But um, if a person were to be in front of their laptop and looking at uh, sexual images on a regular basis, and they were to have, say, uh, they had a, let's say they they were a fan of, uh, I don't know, the Cincinnati Reds. And the Cincinnati Reds colors are, uh, they're red. That's why they're the Reds. And you had a red hat, you took your red hat off, and it sat right there next to your computer. And you were to look at these images over and over and over again. But in the background, you're constantly seeing that red hat. You could literally walk down the road and see somebody wearing a red hat and all of a sudden become aroused. You could become turned on simply for the red hat because God has built it in such a way that this beautiful, beautiful event that was intended to make the two one flesh and truly bring you together in this powerful way will suddenly now not do that. It'll do something else. So whatever you're filling your heart with, your mind with, your eyes with, you'll become connected to. You will become one with, which is why we're told over and over and over in the scriptures to fix our eyes on Jesus, fix our eyes on heaven, fix our eyes on something eternal and not on things of earth. Otherwise, you're going to become connected to them. Well, Paul actually addresses this in the book of First Thessalonians chapter 4, and that word comes from a a book that Paul wrote, a letter he wrote to a church in a city called Thessalonica. That's where we get the word Thessalonians. And he says in chapter 4, verse 3, he says this, It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. The word, again, the word sexual immorality is like a junk drawer word. It means so many different kinds of things, but it basically means anything outside the ethic of one man and one woman in a committed marriage having sex. Anything outside of that's kind of sexual immorality. But I want to focus on the word that came before that before we move on, and that is the word sanctified. Now, the word sanctified is an interesting word because it actually comes from an, another word. It's got the root of another word in it, and that root word is the word hagias. Now, for those of you who don't know Greek, that's fine. Hagias is actually the Greek word for holy. So when you get to New Testament passages that use the word sanctified, what they're actually saying is the holy ones, the holy ones. So let's read that again like that. It is God's will that you should be holy, set apart. What that means is the word holy literally means set apart by God for God's purposes. I've used this analogy before, but let's say in the Old Testament, they had to do a holy sacrifice of one of the, the animals. Uh, they would take a, a knife and set it apart, and that knife could only be used for that purpose. So if you had, say, 12 knives you just bought for $29.99, just kidding, but you took one of those and set it aside, that knife would be holy for the holy purpose of sacrificing the animal. You could never go back to using that knife for everyday purposes. That's the kind of word we're talking about here, that you have been set apart by God for God's purposes. So view your mind, view your eyes, view your heart, view your body in that way. And then he goes on and he says, so that each of you, and I'll read it again because it's really one sentence broken into two verses. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. So notice here, I love this. I love that if you really slow down and read the Bible and you don't feel overwhelmed and shamed and guilted by all the things that it says and you just read it for a second and begin to process it and understand it, Paul says that you should learn to control your own body. So, 
I've already got some messages from some people being convicted and, and, and got a stirring in their hearts based off Sunday's content. They're like, man, pastor, I'm struggling with this. I need help. We, what can we do? And, and I'm going to reach out to these people and try to get them resourced to get them the assistance they need. But here's the thing you should assume. If you're new in this thing called faith, new could be 10 years, by the way, but you're coming to faith in Jesus. And now, because I preached the sermon, you're feeling convicted about, man, I really should stop doing this. I know it's not pleasing to God. I don't know how. Understand that you're going to have to learn a new way. That's called discipleship. You're going to have to learn a new path. You're going to have to learn, okay, when I come home and I'm feeling tired and stressed at work, what are my triggers? Uh, by the way, four common triggers in this situation are something called halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And what I usually tell people is, man, if you're feeling hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, like ask yourself, which one of these needs can I meet right now and then see if the temptation goes away? Like, do I just need a nap? Do I need some food? Do I need to talk to a friend? What's going on here? So again, you're starting to learn. You're learning your body. You're learning what God thinks about the world. You're learning to process it differently and, and give yourself some grace. When Paul was feeling really tempted, he had what he called a thorn in his flesh, this, this thing in his flesh that wouldn't go away and it kept leading him away from God. He kept saying, God, take it away. God, take it away. And he says, and suddenly Jesus spoke to me and said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. And that's where I want to leave you right now. There's certainly more to read and there's more to say, but I want to encourage you for a moment. Man, get in the battle. Don't quit. Don't give up. There's literally never been a hero of the faith, apart from Jesus himself, who hasn't struggled with the flesh and failed and had to get back up and figure it out again. So if you're struggling, good. Get in the struggle. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't be hard on yourself. Don't feel overwhelmed. Get back in the fight. Get back in there. Put some systems in place. And I want to encourage you with this last piece. Find a brother, find a sister that you can reach out to and say, help me. I feel isolated and alone. So recently I was in a conversation with a guy and uh, we got to the end of this conversation and we were just being open and vulnerable with each other. And I said, hey, you told me once that you hate feeling vulnerable. You don't, you don't like feeling exposed. Um, is there um, anything that you want to tell me that maybe you didn't want to say before? And I was like, man, I'm really glad you asked that because honestly, I was avoiding saying this, but blah. And then he shared just kind of like a struggle that he had. And I thought to myself, man, I'm so glad that this guy feels safe enough in this moment to share that with me. Do you have a safe place to go and share wherever your struggles are? Because you were never meant to fight the battle alone. So I want to encourage you, if you don't have that, would you just start praying about that and, and reach out to us here at Kingsway? We would love to help to connect you with some other brothers or sisters in the faith who feel like you and say, look, I don't want to do this life alone. I need some people in my life who are going to hear the hard stuff of my life and they're going to encourage me and challenge me and love me through it because that's the kind of church we want to be. Blessings on you. Look forward to seeing you next week.